does the Bible say I can do X, Y, and Z? Maybe you've asked that question before, or maybe you heard someone ask that question. Or have you ever thought that your behavior and God's acceptance is somehow correlated? Or maybe you know a Christian who seems a little too delighted at the thought that God would punish someone. Well, all these scenarios wasn't originally part of the church. Rather, this type of mindset grew out of a major misunderstanding of how to approach the Bible. I mean, Jesus' movement was meant to invite misfits from around the world to sit at Jesus' table, but this misunderstanding eventually led to the exclusion of them. So this is why this is such an important topic, and we're going to talk about it today. Today we're going to be talking about the first half of Acts chapter 11. But before we get into that, here are some things you need to know. The Apostle Peter is the guy that Jesus put in charge of the first church, which was predominantly Jewish because, well, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and his first set of people who followed him were Jewish boys. One day, Peter was compelled by God to visit Cornelius' home in a town called Caesarea. Now, Cornelius is a Roman and Jews had a long-standing rule that said that they weren't allowed to hang out with non-Jews. They weren't allowed to eat with them and they weren't allowed to befriend them because... Well, that's what the Bible told them. Peter broke all those commands in one afternoon. So we have a big issue here. Peter just broke many key commands of the Old Testament, and he did so by obeying God's directive. Now, there's a bit of a backstory here that we should know. The rules that Peter broke is part of a long list of commands, over 600 of them, which is known as the Old Covenant. Peter broke those commands because Jesus told him, that he had fulfilled the Old Covenant, meaning Peter didn't have to obey those 600 plus commands anymore. Instead, Jesus told Peter that he is now under the New Covenant, which meant that he only had to obey one command, which is to love others as Christ has loved him. So Peter, he didn't just end up eating with Cornelius, which was a big deal. He also spent the night at his home and baptized him. And all these things were big no-nos in the Old Covenant. Okay, so with that in mind, let's move on to Acts chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, that would be Cornelius' household, had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? So in the beginning of this story, it says that Peter traveled from Caesarea to Jerusalem, which is where his church is located. Now, apparently, word traveled faster than him because when he got back, there were a few people in his church who had their arms crossed and they were very frustrated with him. Now, these men are officially called, now get this, the people of the circumcision. Now, who are they and why did they give themselves such a weird name? These are Jewish men who followed Jesus because of his teachings, which were amazing, and his resurrection. But one of the things that they had a hard time swallowing was the fact that they no longer had to follow the 600 plus rules found in the Old Testament. And so they called themselves the people of the circumcision because they believed that they needed to keep obeying the rules of the Old Testament. And yes, that includes the law about how all men of God needs to be circumcised. According to the Old Covenant, if you did not receive the surgery, you are not a Jew. And to them, circumcision was a badge of honor, hence the name of their group. Now, let's keep in mind here that to them, the laws weren't just a list of do's and don'ts. It was actually an identity marker. Their track record of being able to obey these laws 
like every facet of God's commandments, made them worthy of being called Jews. And this is why they were frustrated with Peter, because he deliberately disobeyed the Old Testament, and what he did was offensive to them, to say the least. So when Peter was confronted, what did Peter do? Yeah, basically, he just told him the story that we just read last week. He basically said that he was praying in a town called Joppa when he received a vision about unclean animals wrapped in sheets, and then he heard a voice tell him to eat it. At first, he said, no, I'm not going to eat it, but the voice told him to eat it three times. As soon as the vision was over, Peter noticed that there were three men at his door who were sent by a Roman centurion called Cornelius. These men asked Peter to be a guest at Cornelius' home in Caesarea, and so Peter said, sure, I'll go. Once Peter got there, he witnessed God perform a miracle to those Romans, the exact same miracles that he saw perform on the Jews a decade ago. So Peter draws the conclusion that God is working not just in the Jews, but also in the non-Jews. Then at the end of the story, Peter asked the people of the circumcision a very, very important question. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So what Peter just did was ask him, hey, look, guys, it seems like God is working amongst these non-Jews now. And I don't know about you, but if God is inviting these uncircumcised people into his family, I want to be on the same page as God. I'm going to welcome them in also. So what about you? Now, what I find interesting here is that Peter doesn't get into a debate. Like, he doesn't start quoting Bible verses. Instead, he asks the simple question, are you with God on this? And as a result, the people of the circumcision responds like this. They had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So, it seems like this story has a happy ending. I mean, the people of the circumcision, they agree to allow the Gentiles to join in on this movement. But here's the thing, these guys, these people of the circumcision, they pop up a few more times in the Bible opposing the uncircumcised people. While they seem agreeable and convinced at this point in the story, they seem to go back on their original convictions time and time again. They believe that we shouldn't get rid of the old covenant. When you embrace the Jesus movement, also known as the new covenant, but not let go of the old covenant, we tend to get the worst of both worlds. And when that happens, the beautiful bride of Christ called the church becomes ugly. So I want to spend the rest of today's sermon talking about this because you wouldn't believe how relevant this is to today's church. I mean, sure, you might be thinking, wait a minute, how is a 2,000-year-old problem about Old and New Covenant relevant to us today? Well, let me start by making a blanket statement, and then I'll explain myself. Many of the ugly facets of today's Christianity is rooted in mixing the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. And this mixing problem stems from the fact that most Christians are biblically illiterate. Now, I didn't say that Christians don't read the Bible. I didn't say that. I said that while we do read the Bible, not many of us were taught how to read the Bible. I mean, think about it. When we first got our first Bibles, we were told that this is the Word of God, and that's true. But we often assume that this means that all parts of it should be read in the same way and applied in the same way. So we end up with phrases like, if it's in the Bible, we should obey it. Wait, 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 Kotz, aren't we supposed to obey the word of God? Well, the answer is yes and no. You see, because it totally depends on who you are, when and where you lived, and what your circumstances are. So let me clarify this a bit. The Old Testament was written for a specific group of people, the Jews, and in a specific time, while they were oppressed by world powers, in a specific circumstance, they were promised a savior that would eventually come from their nation. The point here is that the Old Testament was not written for us. In contrast to that, the New Testament, the New Covenant, was meant for the entire world for all times and all circumstances. 
When we take commands from the Old Testament and mix it in with the New Testament, the Christian faith, it lessens Jesus' accomplishments on the cross and makes our faith needlessly unattractive and makes it unnecessarily difficult for us to create ripples for Jesus. Now, before I go on, I want to be clear about this one thing. The Old Covenant is not bad. It accomplishes what it was meant to accomplish, and it is a beautiful library of ancient texts. It is the Word of God. It is good, and for us, the Old Testament gives us insight into the human condition, the character of God, and the context for Jesus. But here's the deal. The two covenants are very different, and at times, they seem contradictory to each other. Yes, the old led to the new, but they do not play well together. They are meant to sit side by side, but they should never overlap. If you're going to embrace the new, you have to let go of the old. So let me give you some examples as to why they are incompatible. First, well, the old covenant was conditional. If you do this, God will continue to be loyal to you. And if you fail to do this, God is under no obligation to do his part. But in the new covenant, God's commitment to humanity is unconditional. Here's another example. A faith system based on the old keeps asking the question, well, what does the Bible say about this topic? Can we do that? What about this? It was designed so that we would treat the Bible like a manual. But the new, it forces us to ask a different question altogether. And the question is, will what I'm about to do lead to love of my neighbor? The Old Covenant says we should send away people who are unclean. It says limit your interactions with people who are not like us. We shouldn't marry people who don't look like us. We should stone people who break God's command. I mean, there are songs in the Old Testament that ask God to destroy our enemies. But the New Covenant, it commands us to reach out to the people who are not like us. And when it comes to enemies, we are told to pray and love them. Here's another one. Have you heard people talk about how God was going to judge sinners and destroy them? Well, that's a very Old Covenant way of thinking. Do you know what the New Testament reveals us about God and sin? It turns out God isn't angry with sinners. Rather, sin breaks his heart because Sin destroys his beloved humanity. Here's another one. The Old Covenant focuses a lot on preserving the nation of Israel, which would explain why there's so many verses about genealogies and protecting lineages, because survival was so important. While the New Covenant focuses on sacrificing ourselves for the benefit of others. By the way, this would explain why there are verses in the Old Testament like this one. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you should cut off her hand, show her no pity. To them, the ability to procreate was one of the highest priorities because their future Messiah could come from that lineage. So to violate the organ which allows them to continue on their line came with the highest penalty. Now, as oddly specific and weird as that command may seem to you, that is not part of our covenant. Our covenant just has one command, which is to love others as Christ has loved you. So, as you can see, the two covenants cannot mix. When you take the imperatives of the old and mix it with the imperatives of the new covenant, you end up with a mess. This mixture creates a religious system of legalism and hypocrisy. Christianity then becomes like a cult that forces people to conform to the ideals of the people who are running the system and then justifies it by calling it love. Even Jesus warns us about the dangers of mixing both covenants. He says that it was like sewing on a new piece of cloth on old garments. If you have a tear in your shirt and you patch it with new cloth, when you wash it and the new piece shrinks, it will pull away from the old shirt, making the tear worse. He also likens it to pouring new wine into old wineskin, like new wine emits gas when it ferments. So if you pour a new wine into an already stretched out container, 
it bursts the skin and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. Now notice in both of these illustrations, Jesus implies that both the old and the new are both good things but they should never mix together. So when Peter saw that the people of the circumcision were doing just that, Peter had to warn them. So Peter warns us, Jesus warns us, Paul the Apostle warns us, James warns us, the old and the new covenant are not meant to mix, but we see this happening all around us. And we know this because of the fruit that Christianity is bearing today, like, believing that being right is more important than loving, treating the Bible as some rule book, telling others that their behavior will send them to hell, and then delighting in it, believing that some religious leaders are more anointed than a regular Christian, or believing that having more power from God is the key to bringing heaven on earth, all of these things is rooted in mixing covenants. And doing so makes the church needlessly unattractive. Mixing the old and new unnecessarily makes creating ripples for Jesus difficult. Well, Kotzen, how do we know if we're actually on the right track? How do we know if we're only embracing the new covenant? Well, the way that Paul tells us to do this is by looking at the fruit that we're bearing. He lists those fruits for us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So church, may you embrace the new covenant and focus on loving others as Christ has loved us and not reverting back to the old covenant. And may God make it abundantly clear how much He loves you. And may you experience heaven together. God bless.